Father, uh, uh, tonight we do look forward to what you have for us. And, and Lord, we do thank you that as we come and, and uh, Lord, we can worship you in, in, in music and in singing. We can worship you in your word. We can worship at your table uh, a little bit later on. So Lord, we, we thank you for tonight. And, and God, as we continue in this study, looking at, at Esther and the circumstances, the situations that she's involved in, that uh, the, the, the king and others are involved in. Lord, I just pray that we could learn to look at our lives through that lens of, of uh, looking at it spiritually, how you are deeply involved in our lives. And it's so easy for us to miss it and, and not understand what's going on. So I pray that as we learn from, from reading these couple chapters that, that God, once again, we would learn that, that, Lord, you care about us. You haven't forgotten us, no matter how ugly life gets, no matter how difficult situations are, that you're still there. So Lord, bless this time and open up our hearts to receive. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we left off last time, Esther had brought the people to that place of fasting and prayer, and, and she had asked them to do that. And, and, you know, some people say, how do you know they were praying? Because if you're just fasting and not praying, you're just losing weight. So I believe, they were, I believe they were fasting and praying and seeking the Lord. And then, listen, but sometimes we're gonna see now, sometimes we look at life and we miss the thing that God is doing in our life because our eyes aren't open spiritually. Reminds me of a story, and, and I'm sure this is a made-up story, but it's a good story. It's a guy who was, you know, on a deserted island. He shipwrecked, and he saved enough material, salvaged enough stuff. He finally got a little shack built, and he's kind of he's surviving and going. And out one day, he's gathering food, and his shack burns down. And how depressing that would be. And he got back and he's just bummed. He doesn't even have a shack anymore. Nothing's going on. He slept on the beach at night. He's looking at the stars. He's kind of angry. Then, then when he wakes up, there's a big ship out there and a small boat comes and the guys come and as they get on shore, he goes, where did you come from? And they said, we saw your distress signal yesterday when you sent up the smoke and we found you. Yeah, see, we never know what's really going on, right? So that's what happens in Esther. I, you know, I love these two chapters because to me, God is so present in these two chapters, yet he's not mentioned, his name isn't there, but yet he's so vivid and working in such a great way that for those of us, listen, and I think especially those of us who, you know, life's not doing real good and we're, we're bumming. God is still involved in your life. He hasn't forgotten you. He's not mad at you. He's not to the place where he doesn't care anymore. You probably have moved a little bit away from him. And we always have to remember, listen, man, when life gets tough, we need to run to God and to God's people, not away from them. That's what I loved about Esther where we left her off. Remember, Mordecai gathered the people and got the people together. So now we pick it up. She's been, it's been three days at the, uh, in, in verse one of chapter five. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on 
his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. Now that's a lot of information, right? I'm just thinking, why don't we just, you know, cut to the chase and she's in front of the king. Remember, remember the fear that she had. If I go before the king and he doesn't put out his scepter, he could kill me. It's up to him. It's his choice. And so she's got to have enough faith to take action to go before the king. I believe that the first lesson we can learn from Esther in this, in this uh, section here is that we got to put feet to our prayers. We got to put action to our faith. We can't, we can't just say we have it. You got to start moving. And yeah, they've been praying. Yeah, they've been seeking the Lord. But now it's time for action. She's got to go before the king. She cannot not do that. So she takes that. And I got to be really honest, man. I think this lady's heart is beating out of her chest. I believe she's got to be scared half to death going before this king knowing that this could be the last thing she ever does. And she takes that, listen, when she takes that risk for her people and for herself. And then it says in verse two, so it was when the king, or when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. So hey, one other thing. I believe, listen, I believe we can go before our king anytime. I believe there's an open door for us by the blood of Jesus anytime. But listen carefully, we gotta go. You can't just talk about it and look at it from a distance. And the fact that, hey, he held out the scepter, that's what he did, but she had to go put her hand on it. She had to take action herself and be part of it. I believe, listen, I believe we're saved. I believe we're gonna go to heaven. But I believe also we gotta walk in this salvation and, and we gotta have our part that we deal with it. So here we have the king. Listen, man, the king's involved here and he's looking at her. He's kind of excited and he held holds out the scepter now what is really going on here God is working why did he hold out the scepter well you can say because he wanted to and because she was good looking but why did he do it because God is controlling his actions whether he likes it or not the Proverbs you know this this whole section fulfills about half of the Proverbs written if you read Proverbs and read these two chapters but here's a couple Proverbs many are the plans in man's heart but it's the Lord uh, Lord's purpose that prevails and then the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he directs it like a water course wherever he pleases God is working in her God is working in him he brings the two together now we have that that connection and and then it tells us in verse three, and the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is it that you request that shall be given to you up to half my kingdom? Now, I, lo I love it when these kings kind of, you know, they kind of exaggerate things, right? He's not gonna give her half his kingdom. It's like, shut up. You know, you're really not gonna do that. But hey, he's pretty, he's pretty taken by what's going on. And do you think maybe, do you think possibly what's going on here is the fact that he can't believe that she came before him. I don't think they did that very often. Listen, I don't think people took those risks that often. And I think the king is a little bit blown away. Hey, she took a huge, huge risk. So there must be something important that she wants. You wouldn't just take that risk unless it was something that you really needed 
from the king. And so I love it. He goes, hey, ask, and I'm going to give it to you. Now, here's where it gets a little bit, to me, a little bit sketchy. And listen, so Esther, in verse 4, Esther answered, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come, to, uh, come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. So I think it's kind of interesting. Listen, she doesn't, she doesn't say, here's what I want. I want to save my people. Here's what she says. She's, is she stalling? Is she being led by the Lord? Well, obviously, I think she's being led by the Lord. Something's going on. But maybe also, maybe she felt like, hey, I don't need to be like a whiny brat and, you know, do this. I need to, I need to get the king in a place where I can speak to him and, and not be in this thing. But whatever, she says, hey, I got this banquet, and I, I love this. She goes, hey, I prepared, and I want the king to come, and I want Haman to come. Who's she after? Haman. So she says, hey, could you guys come to a banquet? And then the king said, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. So now they're there at the banquet, and now you're expecting something to happen, right? Now, I know most of us are familiar with Esther, but pretend you're not. (laughs) Right? She hasn't read this before. So, and the king hasn't read it, and Haman hasn't read it. So you go to this banquet. Now, if you're king, wouldn't you expect to go to the banquet and then you're going to find out, surely all of this didn't just transpire for her to ask him to come to a banquet. Surely that's not what happened. So he finally, you get to the banquet. Now you're expecting something. Come on, let's get this thing going. And especially if you're king and especially if you're impatient. Now, I relate to impatience. Like, I don't even think I would have waited till the banquet. I just said, come on, let's get this thing going. What's up? Something's got to be up. Even if she walked away, I said, something's up. Come on, let's get, this, let's get this figured out. And by the way, that's not always a good thing to do. Sometimes you can get in trouble doing that. So, so hey, they come, in verse 6, at the banquet of wine. Now, some people say there's a, there's a transition here. This is at the banquet of wine. So what's, what's kind of implied maybe is they've had dinner. Now they're having wine. Now it's kind of a little bit after dinner. And, you know, they've had their meal. And now he's thinking, well, you didn't bring anything up at the dinner. What is really going on? And the king, again, he's got to be wondering. So maybe as they're having wine, maybe it's, you know, whatever, whatever's happening. He says, hey, at the banquet of wine, the king said to what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request up to half my kingdom? It shall be done. So once again, the same thing. And then answer, and then Esther answered and said, my petition and request is this. Are you ready? Pretend you haven't read on. Right, because now you're ready, right? Hey, I want to ask you because I want to save my people. I want to get some things in place. I want you to know that Haman's trying to kill my people and let's kind of figure things out and let's work around this. But what does she do? Again, it's kind of like this is a little strange. And she says, listen, if I found favor in the sight of the king in verse eight, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and to fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I've prepared for them and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Seriously? Like you took that huge risk to come before me to ask me to come to dinner and then I come to dinner and we lay all of that out and now you're asking me to come to dinner? I mean, listen, it is a little bit, it's a little bit weird, isn't it? Do you guys think like that's normal? Now sometimes I think we, we do kind of, you know, some of us have a hard time kind of getting to the point and kind of getting around. You know, there are those who are impatient who just 
run over the top of everything. And then there are those who, it takes them forever. And they kind of got to think things through. They got to figure it out. They got to they practice what they're going to say. They got to have it all together. And I'm thinking, Esther, let's just get going. Now, here's what I know, though. Behind all of this, the hand of God is working. And we see God moving again. In circumstances, you look at this, and, and it looks like, hey, it's just people doing life, right? It's all it is, people doing life. But from our perspective now, we can read into it and we can understand God was working. It wasn't time, listen, the time wasn't right for her to bring this up. Haman had to prove a little bit more what a, what a doof he was before you know, the king is really gonna accept things. And so I, I believe, listen, I believe she's stalling for her own reasons, but I believe ultimately this is God holding things back and keeping things from moving on. And some of us in our lives, we need to understand that. There are times where God is holding things back and, and, and keeping us from going in a direction. Some of it's because it's a real stupid direction, and some of it is, listen, some of it, it's just not time yet. You know, when I talk to some young guys sometimes wanting to get involved in, in different things, oftentimes I will tell them, now's not the time. It's not, listen, when I tell them, listen, it's not never, it's just not now. And it's hard to get that, it's hard to grasp that, especially if you're impatient. I, I remember when I wanted to go on the mission field really bad, and, and uh, I'm ready to go. I would have gone in a heartbeat. But God put a woman in my life who was not ready to go, and listen, God used her to direct the course of my life in the direction it needed to go, and I, I see that, and I even begin to see it in the midst of things a little bit. But still, you just wanna do, and so, hey, here's the thing we need to understand. I'm sure, I'm sure Esther's heart is pounding through all of this. She's freaking out trying to deal with this. How am I gonna put this? How, how can I really describe that this guy's such a monster? He wants to kill all of our people, and he's done this edict, and, and hey, King, by the way, he's gonna be killing me as we're doing this. Oh, by the way, on a side note, something to think about, all of these servants who are involved in this banquet, they all know that Esther's a Jew. She's already come out to them. And it's interesting to me, they haven't let the king know that. They haven't, as even I think of the, especially the ones who are escorting her in this, because you know she had to have her entourage. And they're not saying anything, so hey, the king doesn't know exactly what's happening, so hey, she just says, would you do this? Now, listen, he's got to do it, right? Because he's already said, up to half my kingdom. So all I want is a dinner. So, verse 9, right? So, Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. But stop there. Just stop there for a minute. Now, Haman's stoked. Why? Because, hey, he just went to dinner with the king and his wife. Think about that. That would be so awesome that, hey, he's the only one. Nobody else was invited. I was invited. Oh, especially if you're on an ego trip, which he is, right? Man, I must be somebody. 
I was the only one out of all of the people, all, all the other, even the people that the king really likes, even the other guys that are around him. He invited me, the queen wanted me to go to two banquets, man. This is pretty awesome. So he's going out, listen, he's going out, woo, woo, right? He's all excited. And as he's going out, remember, remember he's got this issue as he goes in and out of the palace, there's a gate where this guy's hanging out that he despises, right? So he's going out and who's there? Mordecai, right? And it says, listen, and as he went out and full of joyful, his heart was glad, but in, in the middle of verse nine, but when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate and they did not stand nor tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Hey man, you talk about letting somebody else rob your joy and steal from you. It's like, Haman, you're such a doofus. Like, why are you allowing one person to irritate you that much, you can't even just enjoy a moment. You know, and, and hey, I'm just gonna put this into perspective. That was a great moment for him. It was huge. And he can't even enjoy it because here's one person, one person. One person doesn't get up and recognize who you are and recognize you. You're gonna let all of that rip you off from all that you could have and he's allowing that to happen. Any of us let that happen? You know, let that one person get under your skin, that one individual that's there, and you let that seed, that root of bitterness, it's tiny in the beginning, but it grows and chokes you so bad. And you can tell, here's how you can tell, when you walk by that person and you can't stand them. And all of a sudden, you're next to that person and all of the joy that you just experienced is drained away and gone. Hey, saints, you need to take care of that. That's on you. That's not on anybody else. They don't need to fix their life. Listen, Mordecai doesn't have to fix his life. Haman needs to fix his life. And Haman needs to take care of what's going on in his heart. So he's got all of that. So nevertheless, verse 10, nevertheless, Haman restrained himself. And here's what he meant. And he went home. So here's, here's what we're saying. He didn't kill the guy right then, right? Because he wanted to choke him. So he restrains himself. He goes home. And in, in the middle of verse 10, and it says, and he sent and he called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told them, now here's what I love. Kind of, you, can, you can kind of figure out who this guy is, right? Then Haman told him of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything which, a king, which uh, the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above all the officials and servants of the king. You kind of get the idea that it's all about Haman. Did you get him, me, his? He's got all this stuff going on. Uh, you know, in Proverbs 16, here's another proverb. Pride, go, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a great fall. And this is, hey, he thinks he is something. I remember years ago, this scripture's kind of dear to my heart, years ago when uh, we were building this facility and Calvary Tucson was building the East Campus facility and they had hit some difficulties and some things had happened and their construction kind of slowed down. They started about probably about eight, nine months, maybe a year before us, and we were catching them and passing them in construction phase, and it felt pretty good. <laughs> so I remember as we're going, and, and I was at Calvary Tucson, and they, they showed a video of how far they had come, and I was teaching that weekend, and they showed the video, and I go, wow, you guys are almost up where we are. How wonderful for you. 
That Monday, God blew that back wall down. Just blew it over, crushed the whole thing. Robert sends me a text. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a great fall. I thought, you turkey. But that's the way it is, right? So, so listen, man, we get all prideful about things. We get all puffed up. And we start, look what I have. Look what I did. Look at this. And so Haman's doing all of this. And then, and then verse 12, moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come to the king with the king to the banquet that, was pre- that she prepared. And tomorrow I'm going again, right? I'm again invited by her along with the king. And he's going, this is so, my life is so good. Yet... Here it is, malice, that terrible malice that's in his heart. He says, yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Now, I want you to, I want you to underline something because I think it's important at this point in the story. He says, Mordecai the Jew. He tells that group, he brings his wife and his friends, his advisors together, and he goes, here's my problem, Mordecai the Jew because I want us to understand that. And he goes, hey, I'm trying to deal with that, and I got malice in my heart. Once again, malice and pride and all of that. Someone once said, pride is a disease that makes everybody sick, but the person who has it, right? Everybody around you is going, And then you get malice in your heart, and malice, malice will destroy you. Listen to what Paul says in Corinthians. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Hey, malice it will grow and destroy you, and that's what's going on with Haman right now. It's beginning to destroy him. Hey, all of that is good, but Mordecai the Jew, man, this guy is driving me nuts. So what does his friends do? These are great friends and wife then his wife Zeresh and all of his friends said to him let a gallows be made 50 cubits high and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it then go merrily with the king to the banquet and the thing pleased Haman so that he had the gallows made now listen he came home after a banquet and they come up with the idea now they're working on this and, and I don't know hey that's 75 feet I don't know if they actually made a structure 75 feet high or if they're saying get on a hill you know it doesn't really matter maybe they made one but you got to remember when they're hanging they're not hanging like with a rope like that they're hanging as they had a stake and they impelled you on it right up through your rib cage and let you squirm on that till you died gross so stick this thing up, make sure, and here's what they're saying. Make sure everybody sees what happens to that guy and you need to do it in the morning. So what, is that, what does that tell us? You gotta do all your construction that night, right? You guys with me? Someone nod your head. Pretend you're awake, even if you're not. So you gotta do all that construction and they're all working and, and so hey, they're working away. I think, I think Haman's busy uh, uh, you know, overseeing that and getting that ready and then at the palace, that's chapter six, verse one, at the palace it says that night the king could not sleep. Huh, what a coincidence. The king can't sleep that night. Interesting, was it because he ate too much at the banquet with, with, uh, with, with uh, Esther? Is it because he's worried about the kingdom? What's going on that he can't sleep? 
God is what's going on that he can't sleep. God's involved in his life, so here he is. He's kind of tossing and turning. And, hey, check this out. When he couldn't sleep, verse 6, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. Here's what he's saying. I can't sleep, so instead of entertainment, hey, he had a whole harem. He had a lot of stuff he could have chose from. What did he choose? Read to me from the book of Chronicles. When we go to Israel, I always warn people, because they're going to wake up early in the morning. I said, you're going to wake up like 2. You wake up at 2 a.m., your eyes are going to pop open, you're going to want to get out of bed. Do not get out of bed. You need to stay in bed. You need to try and make it happen. So here's what I tell them. Read Chronicles or Kings. <laughs> That'll put you to sleep. Just start reading that pretty soon. And hey, I think that's what the king's doing. Listen, i got to be alone. They read that boring stuff to me so I can conk out, right? So, but look at man. It just so happened he couldn't sleep. Just so happened that he called for them to read Chronicles. It just so happened that they picked the one place in the scrolls or whatever they had, and they started reading verse 2, and it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, the two of the king's eunuchs at the, of, of the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. They just so happened to get to that part that we read about in chapter 2, right, that Mordecai stopped this assassination of the king. Wow, they just so happen to read that. Don't tell me God's not involved in our lives. Listen, this is the hand of God moving in such a direct way, in such an obvious way. Now, once again, here's what I believe. When we're in the middle of those situations, we often don't see it. And check this out. People around us will see it, but we don't see it. Where's God? People are going, can't you see God working in your life? No, I'm so bummed. I'm going to eat some worms. Come on. So here he is. Listen, man, God is working in a mighty way. They just so happen to read that. And then here's what the king said. What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? So here's what he's saying. Did we do anything for him? Check this out. It was five years ago. Five years ago. Now, if you go back, think about, let's think about Mordecai for a moment. Five years ago, you stop an assassination of the king and you get nothing. Nothing. You don't even get like a, you know, you don't even get a text, thank you. Zip. Yet, at that same time, Haman gets raised up. You think Mordecai would get bitter? No, he just keeps plodding along. Mordecai just keeps going. I kind of like that about this guy, right? He's not someone who's going to let that eat at him. Haman gets lifted up. Mordecai gets forgotten. Five years later, the king can't sleep one night. Somebody reads a thing to him, and he goes, Mordecai, did we do anything for him? How come we didn't do anything for him? What's the matter? And I'm sure, you know, it's kind of typical, especially if you're in that place where you have other people that, that kind of take their care of things. Why didn't you guys do anything? You're the king. You didn't tell us to do anything, right? So, hey, nothing happened, and they says, and then listen, the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. 
So then he hears some rustling outside, right? Outside of his bedchamber, he hears some, and something happening. He's going, who's in my house, right? Look at, look at verse four. So the king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. So he just got finished. Listen, do you kind of get the picture if this was a movie? He just finished up work and he runs over to the palace and he's thinking, we gotta hang this guy early in the day because I got a party to go to tonight and we got to get this done and everybody's got to see this so let's get started so he rushes over to the king's place early in the morning the king goes who's out there and you know who is that Mordecai's out there kind of making some noise I don't know if he coughed or something but he's there and then verse 5 says the king's servant said to the king Haman is there standing in the court and the king said bring him in he's all excited right the king is so excited why? He just found out somebody saved his life. Maybe even he didn't know before. I don't know. But listen, man, it says, it says, let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, hey, Haman, buddy, pal, the guy who gets invited to stuff that nobody else does, the one who's rich and has all kinds of stuff and a whole bunch of kids, you know. He goes, hey, Haman, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor. He's going, what should I do for somebody that I want? Well, give, me, give me kind of some hints. What should I do for the one person I really want to honor? Well, you're that person that, hey, you've just been invited to the, number one, you got invited to the banquet no one else did. Number two, check this out. You're in the king's bedroom. How many people do you think ever got in the king's bedroom? Not very many, huh? He's in the king's bedroom. The king says, what should I do? What should I do? Some of you are saying a lot of ladies, but that's, we're talking different. Come on. And he's going, wow. I'm here and a king wants to know what he should do for somebody he wants to honor. Surely he must be talking about me because life's all about me, right? That's what that next sentence says at the, at the end of that verse. It says, this is at the end of verse uh, six there, it says, the king says, what should I do with the, the one the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, who would the king delight to honor more than me? What a puke. Golly, oh, this must be about me. Well, hey, if it's about me, then let's do it big, right? And Haman answered the king and said, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn. Listen, this is important. That's a little detail that's there that oftentimes we read over that the king has worn. I don't want just one hanging in your closet. Let one that the king has worn. If the king has worn it, that makes it even a little bit more prestigious. So make sure, you know, you get, you get a robe that the king has worn. And then he says, and a horse on which the king has ridden. Are you getting what's going on? Oh, no. And that the royal crest is placed on his head. So here's what he's saying. I want everything done for this person that the king would have. Are you kind of getting the idea of what, Morde or what Haman's after? Yeah, Haman's like really digging this. And he's thinking, hmm, wouldn't be too bad to be king. If I could wear the king's robe, ride the king's horse, hey, who knows, he might come down with a really bad cold. He might get really sick in the next week or two. I'm kind of digging this. 
I don't even like, listen, I don't even like being the guy on the outside invited to the banquet. I want to be the, you know, the one who's planning the banquet. So check it out. Man. I think that's what you're doing. You can kind of see in his head, hey, man, he's planning his future. He's probably already picking out new, new furniture for the palace. You know, and he's looking at all that. Here's what we need to do. And then verse nine, then let this robe and this horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor and then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now this is pretty crazy, isn't it? Hey, here's what we need to do, man. We need to do all this stuff. And I'm thinking, dude, you are in major major trouble. And again, you got to remember, these guys haven't read ahead. They don't know what's going on. And when you're that full of yourself, hey, you're going to pull something like that. And you're going to think, this is what I deserve. This is what should happen to me. And then the king said to Haman in verse 10, hurry and take the robe and the horse of you has suggested and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate and leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. Wow, wow, you talk about, you got to talk about a kick in the gut. You talk about, oh, do what? Hey, it's bad enough. Listen, it's bad enough if it's just not you. But it's the guy you despise. It's the guy you can't stand. Hey, Reminds me of some more Proverbs. The righteous man is rescued from trouble and it comes on the wicked instead. And a, man prides, a man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Mordecai has just been doing what Mordecai does. And saints, you know what? Sometimes you just need to do life and tr- quit striving to gain and striving for something. Just do life. And let God honor you and let God bring you to that place. So, hey, man, you got that going on. And Mordecai, I'm sure Haman is going, I can't believe this. And so, but he's got to do it, right? So then he grabs, hey, he goes and gets all this stuff. He gets a, in, in uh, verse 11, so Haman took the robe and the horse arrayed Mordecai and led him on the horse back, uh, on, on horseback throughout the city and proclaimed before him, thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Wow, whoa. You can see the whole time, steam coming out, right? How can I, I'm doing this for that Jew? Remember, he hated him. And he hated all of his people because he hated him. His hatred for him grew so huge that he wanted to annihilate and he wanted to wipe that people group off the planet. And now he's having to parade around this guy. Wow, a little bit of humiliation going on, huh? And here's what I find. If we don't humble ourselves, God will humiliate us in front of others. There's a big difference to me between being humble and being humiliated. This is humiliation. This is horrible for him. And he's going around doing it, and then, then listen, man, he took it and he did it, and then afterwards, verse 12, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. Hey, the guy pulled his hoodie on, put it over his head, and ran home because he can't believe all of that just took place. He is like totally freaked out because he thought he was all that. 
Now, you gotta wonder, man. You gotta wonder, man. His, his head's spinning. I'm sure Mordecai is. Listen, I don't even know. I know that Mordecai knows that Haman wants to kill him because he's let Esther know that. So I know he knows there's some animosity, but I don't know what's exactly, it's interesting. We're not told how, how Mordecai felt about this situation. I'm sure at best it was awkward. Listen, I don't think Mordecai's sitting on that horse going, woo He's probably thinking, this is awkward. It's a little bit difficult here. I got that guy leading a horse doing that. Is he gonna stab me? Has he got someone waiting around the corner? I mean, hey, that would be kind of hard. Then he gets back to his place and he just goes back where he's supposed to go, does his thing, so he's back. And then Haman's completely humiliated. And, and hey, and then in verse, in verse uh, uh, 13, it says, when Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and his friends, who are these people? I wanna remind us, who are these people? These are the people that last night told him, build a gallows and hang that guy, right? Here's what they said. These are the same exact people that said, you kill Mordecai the Jew. Now, they maybe didn't say the Jew, but Haman already said, I can't stand Mordecai the Jew. And they go, then here's what you need to do. You need to kill him. That's what you need to do. Now he collects these same people. It's always interesting how people advise you. Now he collects the same people together, his wife and his friends, and he gets them together and, he, and all of his friends and everything and he, and he tells them when he has told his wife and his friends everything that had happened to him, the wise men and his wife, Zeri, said to him, if Mordecai before whom you begin to fall, you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him but will surely fall before him. That would have been good news last night. Listen what they're saying. If he's of Jewish descent, people, I told you last night, Mordecai the Jew. And what did you tell me to do? You told me to kill him. Now tonight, now this morning, now you're saying, hey, you made a big mistake, bro. Wow. I wouldn't like my advisors. I don't even know at that point if I'd like my wife. You know, it's like, come on, man. You know, now, you're saying, now you're saying you don't touch Jews? Well, hey, we know according to Genesis, right? Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That's a promise God made to Abraham, and that's a promise that's still valid today. And now here's what they're saying. Dude, you should have never done that. It's like, done what? Oh, man, you're in serious trouble. Bye. Hey, friends you can lose. I'm not so sure it's good for a wife. And I think now, listen, man, now his head's really got to be spinning, right? Especially, listen, especially if you're that person, you're full of pride and you think everything that has happened good is because of you because you're so great, you're so wonderful, you have accomplished these things, you've got lots of money, you've got lots of kids, everything in the world is all about you and your whole world's focused on you. Now you have your group, your best advisors saying, dude, you just blew it. You just blew it big time. Man, your head's got to be spinning, have you ever gotten something kind of news like that that just kind of hits you in the gut and you got to deal with it and it's hard? Listen, it's hard to process. It's hard to put things together. It's hard to keep going. 
And I think he's at that point. Listen, he's got to be at that point. And what happens right then? He's right at that point, and what happens? I think he's trying to figure out what am I going to do. And while they were still talking with him, in verse 14, the eunuchs came and hastened to bring Hammond to the banquet. Here's what happens, man. Some people bust in your house and go, come on, man, you've got a party to go to. <laughs> I'm just trying to process what these guys said. They just told me I'm in for a huge fall and you guys are dragging me away to a party. Yeah, you're supposed to go to the queen's party and you gotta go to the banquet. Esther's prepared it all for you. Come on. Wow. You don't even have time to think. You don't even have time to process. Who's in charge of all of this? Only one. God. And he couldn't have done this better. He couldn't have messed this guy's head up any better. And now he's in a mess. So next week we'll finish this. Some of you are going, are we going to stay? No. Next week we'll finish it. But I want us to realize the importance of us to understand that God is alive and working in our lives. Hey, I believe, listen, I believe God is involved in, in details of our lives that many of us never even understand. And I, again, I think it's some of the hardest things in life that he's involved in. The difficult things that we have a hard time understanding and we have a hard time accepting. And I'm not trying to minimize this and I'm not trying to say those things aren't difficult and they aren't hard. They are. They're tough. And you and I need to understand God doesn't abandon us at those times. That's probably when he's the most deeply involved in our lives. We need to pray in those circumstances and those situations for spiritual eyes to see what God is doing. Hey, you see God working in this. Do you think, do you think Esther went away and went, woo, God is working wonderfully. I'm not sure she even knows it yet. Oh, I think, she, I think she prayed and believes that God has answered prayer. Do you think Mordecai went back to his sitting place after he rode on a horse? Woo, woo. I think he went back and went, that was interesting. A little awkward, but that was interesting. Something's going on here. Maybe, just maybe our prayers are really working. But the problem with a lot of us is this. When life gets to that place where it seems unbearable, we run away from God and God's people. Instead, we should be running to God and to God's people. We need each other. And we're supposed to be a family and we're supposed to be the place where we can come and we have those who will come along with us and go on that journey with us. But so often we tend to isolate. And my prayer is we would learn from this not to isolate, not to run away, but to run to each other. What did Mordecai do when he got the worst news in the world? He gathered God's people and he brought them together and look what's happening now. Well, we don't know yet, right? It's still a mess. But people understand he's intimately involved in our lives because he loves us. He's proven that by dying on the cross for us. Let's stand up and pray. Father, tonight as we do get ready to come to your table and we, we watch and we, we see this intense scene played out. 
And it's so easy just to say, that's a, that's a you know, quote, a Bible story, or that happened millenniums ago, and, and that was that God, we have a different God. I, I pray that we would understand the God of Esther and Mordecai is the same God that we serve. And I pray that we would know that even in those deepest, darkest times, even in the most difficult situations that can ever come into our lives, that we would know that God, you are there. And it may not, listen, it may not even turn around and and change radically like we would want it to, but I pray we would stop and rest in your presence. When you came to Job, you didn't give Job any answers. You didn't give him any solutions. All you gave him was yourself. And to Job you said, am I enough? And I pray we would understand that. And that we would be people who seek you in the midst of the hardships of life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you-